The reading is from John 11. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to, to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews, who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. The Jews, then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? I'd like to introduce to you Wes Hill, so give him a round of applause. Thanks. Great to be here. <laughs> Wes uh, is in town for the Anglican Future Conference, which has just finished, and he's been doing stuff at St. Hilary's. Tell us a bit about yourself. Um, where, where do you live? Yeah, so I live in, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which is on the eastern part of the U.S. Uh, I live in a, uh, a small town that used to be a thriving center for steel, steel the yep. steel industry, and, and uh, all that's gone now, but... Uh, the seminary where I teach, I teach at an Anglican training college, and it's it's about five blocks from my house, so it's 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 good. Okay, and so what do you teach? What's your area? So I teach in the area of New Testament. Um, I get to teach a range of different modules on the Gospels and on St. Paul, and um, yeah, we're we're sort of mostly training Anglican ordinance for ministry and mission, uh, but we have a range of different denominations as well, so it's it's fun. Okay, so is it kind of similar to Ridley College in it is. flavor? It is very yeah. similar yeah. to Ridley, yeah. actually. Yep. Yep, okay, and you've got some books out as mm. well, which we've got some at the back there, I think. Oh, cool, great. Yeah, yep. <laughs> and, um, and what else? Tell us some more about yourself. Like, what are your interests? Like, mm. what do you do when you're not doing theology? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I quite enjoy uh, being outdoors, hiking, uh, camping. I, I enjoy film. Um, I've, I've gotten into cooking a lot the last ah. few years, so I, I, I actually share a house. I'll say a bit more about that in a bit. But I share a house with some good friends, and, and we enjoy having meals together and, and cooking together, yeah, so it's, it's fun. Good. Well, let me pray for you, Wes. Great. Look, I thank you for Wes and, um, and for what he's about to say. We pray that you encourage us by your word. Amen. Mm. Amen. 
Well, it's great to be with you. Um, as, as Peter mentioned, I've, I've been in Melbourne for the uh, Anglican Futures Conference, and uh, that's now finished, and I'm heading on to Sydney tomorrow morning. Uh, but it's, it's been wonderful to be here. You have a wonderful city, and don't tell Sydney folks, but I think I prefer it to Sydney. So um, I, I, I want to talk this morning about friendship. And uh, I chose this, this Bible reading that we've just heard read um, in part because it gives us a window into something about the life of Jesus that I think we don't often focus on, we don't often think about. We see Jesus throughout the Gospels as a teacher. We see him as a healer. We see him as the one who is bringing to bear the kingdom of God in the world. But perhaps we don't often think as much about Jesus as a friend. Uh, Jesus as someone who uh, had an enjoyment of particular relationships in his life. One of the things we believe as Christians is not only that Jesus is fully God, that he's God come in the flesh, but that he is fully human. And he has tasted all the variety of human love and human experience. And the human experience of friendship is something that Jesus knew and enjoyed and treasured. And we know that he had this special relationship with uh, this family, the, the siblings of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. We don't know a lot about it, but it seems that as Jesus was traveling around Galilee, as he was traveling around the land of Palestine, he often would stay uh, with this family, and he developed a closeness to them. He developed a relationship of affection with them, and I think it's remarkable. It's a remarkable window into the life of Jesus when we look at that moment when Lazarus has passed away, and Jesus finally arrives And it's a mystery to the sisters why he didn't show up sooner. If he had shown up sooner, could he have prevented Lazarus from dying? And he arrives, and they go out to meet him. And Jesus, in all of his humanity, in the fullness of his human condition that he shares with you and with me, he cries. He weeps. He weeps over the fact that death has taken his friend. Death has robbed these sisters, Mary and Martha, of their brother. And he tastes that human experience of grief. And the people who are standing around beside him, the way they interpret those tears is they say in verse 36, see how much he loved him. That's their interpretation of what those tears are all about. It shows the depths of Jesus' affection for his friend. Friends, that's powerful. It's powerful to see that our Lord sanctified the practice and the, the experience of human friendship by his own example. I'm going to come back to that in a few minutes. But I, that's what I want to linger on with you this morning is this, this love of friendship. And in my experience, whenever you talk about friendship, uh, it's a complicated thing in our world. Because I think if we did a, a poll this morning, if I asked for a show of hands, many of you would say you value friendship, you treasure friendship. And I would, I would love it if we had time to just hear some stories of what friendship has meant in each of our lives. Because it's a basic human experience. It's a basic gift of God that enriches all of us. But at the same time, it's also complicated. Uh, we know that friendships can break. Friendships can drift apart. Or friendships can be hard to find. I've been collecting over the last few years some reasons that I think friendship is difficult for many of us in the modern West. 
Um, you know, friendship is, is practiced differently around the world. There, there are different cultures that seem to be better or worse at it. But I think for us in the, in the modern West, um, friendship is, is, is challenging. Friendship is complicated. One of the reasons is because we can, I think maybe particularly for men, we can experience a kind of shame around our hunger for friendship. Um, one of the more, I, I ended up writing a book about friendship several years ago, and as I was doing research, uh, trying to sort of get my head around the concept theologically, culturally, biblically, I read a, a book called Deep Secrets. Um, the author is a sociologist who studied friendship among non-white boys in the northeastern part of the U.S., mostly uh, Latino uh, boys, but she, she, she studied other uh, African-American boys as well. And she, she found that um, as she studied these boys, she st- it was a longitudinal study, so it followed them from around age 12 or 13, just as they were beginning adolescence, on through the end of high school till they were 17 or 18. And what she found is that at the younger ages, they were very, very open about uh, talking uh, in deep, intimate terms about how much they treasured their friends, their male friends. And they would say things to her like, my, my friend is the only one who I can share my secrets with. My friend is the one who knows me in the way that no one else knows me, and I, I love being with them. I love doing things with them. They were remarkably uh, honest about how deep their affection was for their friends. And she found that as they grew older, all of that language sort of went away. And they were much more hesitant, much more fearful, much more ashamed to talk in those kind of terms about their friendships. And they would, they would preface whatever they said at age 16, 17, 18 by saying, now you've got to understand I'm not gay. They had somehow absorbed from their culture the, the sense of shame that they shouldn't, they shouldn't be so uh, laudatory. They shouldn't be so excited about their friendships. They had internalized a sense of shame about them. Uh, I think that can be common among modern Western people, perhaps particularly among males. We wonder if we're allowed to want friendship that much. We wonder if we're allowed to treasure it that much, to celebrate it that much, and to look for it. I think another uh, reason we find friendship complicated in our world is because it's, it's relatively neglected. Think about all the pop songs you love. Think about all the films you love. Uh, most of the time, they tend to be about the love of romance, the love of, of male and female. I just, I just went to see this week the film Crazy Rich Asians, uh, which is great fun. But, you know, friendship is sort of marginal to that story. What's central is the, the love of the protagonist and his girlfriend, you know, this, this, uh, this, this romantic love. And that's what gets celebrated. That's what gets written in the big headlines in our world. You know, we celebrate uh, girlfriend and boyfriend. We celebrate romance. We celebrate uh, marriage. And often, in our rush to do that, and I think we even do that in church, we sort of highlight marriage to the detriment of other kinds of relationships. Uh, Marriage and family to the detriment of friendship. And what happens is it's not that we cease to want friendship. It's not that we stop hungering for it, but it just sort of gets sidelined in our thoughts and in our in our practices. And, and that becomes another reason that friendship is hard to talk about, hard to come by in our world. Another thing I've seen, and I, I've seen this in my own life, uh, is we have such a commitment to autonomy, to freedom, personal freedom, and mobility. We want to be able to do what we want, when we want, and we want to be able to move anytime a better job offer comes along 
or a, or a better neighborhood, better home comes along, and we don't think much, most of us in the modern West, we don't think much about sort of moving and leaving relationships behind. I spent the decade of my 20s, I'm 37 now, but I spent the decade of my 20s never living in one place for longer than two years, and it became exhausting. Uh, and I was, I was sort of committed to my, to my ambitions, my freedom, and I didn't think too much at all about sort of saying goodbye to my friends. I mean, it was sad, but I didn't, I didn't ever think there was a different way to live. I thought you're supposed to prioritize your career, you're supposed to prioritize, you know, sort of worldly success, and you sort of neglect friendship in the process. I mean, friendship is nice, but it's not number one. It's not the priority. And I think many of us don't even question that assumption. That's just the way we choose to live. We want our freedom. We want to hang on to our autonomy and our, our freedom to move and to start over and to build a, a new career whenever we like. Another thing we're committed to, I think, is, is the notion that our work defines us. You know, when we think about our identity in the modern West, when we think about the effects of capitalism on our thinking, the effects of our consumer society, we are most ourselves, we most matter when we're being productive. Uh, and friendship, if you think about it, doesn't produce anything. Friendship is just about people enjoying one another's company. Friendship is just about being together. You may spend a weekend with your friends and nothing technically gets done in inverted commas, right? It's just the fact that you're enjoying one another's company. And I think in a society where we're told that the only way to matter is to be productive, the only way that you count in the world is if you're doing something that has tangible monetary value, then friendship is easy to neglect. Friendship is easy to pull away from because friendship has no obvious product that it introduces into the world. Friendship is just itself. It's, it's uh, as a friend of mine put it, it's good for nothing. In the, best, in the best sort of way. It's not about producing something. It's not about sort of making you a consumer. So I think for all these reasons, friendship is a challenge. And I imagine if we went around the room, we could list other challenges, other reasons that we find friendship maybe especially difficult to practice, difficult to put into to place in our lives in the current modern West. But friends, I think, as we, as we heard a moment ago from our reading, I think that we have good Christian reasons to push back against these cultural trends and reclaim the love of friendship as something that Christians ought to celebrate and to prize and to enjoy and to cultivate in our church. I love it that, that when Peter emailed me to ask if I would come and preach, he said, could you come and preach about friendship? I think that's exactly what we Christians ought to be thinking. How can we preach about it? How can we talk about it in our Bible studies? How can we study it in such a way that it becomes a Christian value? Uh, friendship is something that even secular people enjoy, but Christians have all the more reason to value friendship because our Lord himself sanctified it by his own example, by his own life. I'm someone who has uh, learned over the years the value of Christian friendship. I, if you know any of my story, I don't know how much Peter may have shared with you, but I'm, I'm single, and I'm committed to singleness. I, I am someone who experiences same-sex attraction, and I have um, uh, studied the scriptures, and I feel convicted that uh, the biblical teaching on sexuality and marriage is that God designed marriage to be between a man and a woman for life. And that any sort of sexual intimacy outside of that is, is sinful, is forbidden by God. And so I'm, I'm committing to this vision. I'm committing to a life of singleness. 
And it's caused me to question, what, what does healthy singleness look like? What does it look like to flourish uh, in the church? And, and I've prayed for many years, most of my adult life, that God would not leave me in isolation, that he would not leave me in loneliness, but that he would lead me deeper into Christian community deeper into friendship. And so uh, I remember, for example, getting to the end of my uh, studies in New Testament. I, w- I was studying in England and the UK, and I was preparing to move back to the United States. And I found myself just praying over and over and over that the Lord would give me a community of friends that I could pour myself into, that I could receive uh, love and loyalty from them. And I moved to Pittsburgh to take the job at this training college where I am. And around that time, I started writing about friendship, which produced this little book that I mentioned. But, but one, of the, one of the people I discovered as I was writing, and I want to I share this with you, and then we will, we will circle back to, uh, to Scripture eventually, I promise. Uh, but but one, of the, one of the books I discovered that really encouraged me was um, a 12th century book titled Spiritual Friendship. Uh, It was written by a monk uh, whose name is Aelred, A-E-L-R-E-D. That book is still in print all these centuries later. But Aelred was was someone who had um, been very uh, successful in worldly terms uh, in in Scotland. Um, He had had sort of lived a morally promiscuous life. Um, He had had sexual relationships with men. He had, he had lived a very sort of flagrantly uh, pagan life, and he got converted to Jesus Christ. He became a Christian, and he signed up to live a monastic life, and he eventually uh, was, was sort of elevated and became the abbot of a monastery in the, in the northeast of England called Riveau. Um, and it's actually still there. Uh, the ruin of the monastery, at least, is still there. It's, it's tucked away in the rolling hills of Yorkshire, um, I made a trip there uh, to, to photograph it and to pray there and to see it. But Elred uh, did something that had not been done very much before. He wrote a book on friendship. And he said, you know, as we look through the pages of Scripture, we see in the book of Proverbs, for example, that the that Proverbs says um, there is a friend that sticks even closer than a brother. There's something about friendship to celebrate. Yes, we should celebrate the love between siblings. Yes, we should celebrate the love between parents and children, husband and wife. But there's something about friendship that can be especially close. I mean, think about David and Jonathan. David says, the love of Jonathan was more wonderful to me even than the love of women. There's something unique about friendship, something precious about friendship. And Aylred wrote his book to try to celebrate friendship and promote friendship among Christians. And he did something very interesting. He tried to distinguish true spiritual friendship, true Christian friendship, from its counterfeits. He said it's easy to fall into what he calls a carnal friendship. A carnal friendship is where you you form a bond with someone, you have an affection for someone, but it's based on the fact that you both are hungry for the same worldly lusts. And I think we can probably all identify with that. Uh, Maybe we think back to our university days when we had close people that we hung out with, but really it wasn't anything to do with spirituality. It was more to do with the fact that we enjoyed the same vices, we enjoyed pursuing the same sort of pleasures at the expense of God. And Elred says that looks on the surface like friendship, but it's actually not the real thing because it's not a uniting of hearts in the way that God wanted. 
Elred also talks about how there can be a worldly friendship. There can be carnal friendship and there can be worldly friendship. Worldly friendship is where you, you fall in with someone, you, you have a, a, an affection for them, but it's all about helping one another climb the ladder of worldly success. You sort of help each other along, you, you help each other get that promotion, you try to, you try to um, stand on the shoulders of the people who are, who are less ambitious, and you, and you gradually move ahead in the world. And what you, what, again, what, what it looks like in, in, in surface terms is a real friendship, but Ilred says actually there's nothing there. It's sort of a hollow thing that, that only has the appearance of genuine friendship. For Ilred, genuine friendship is a spiritual friendship. Genuine friendship, he says, is where you have mutual goodwill and charity marked by trust and fidelity. Elred says a true friendship is a relationship based on reciprocal love that's pushing you toward God. And he says the mark of that kind of friendship is that you really have no qualms at all about sharing your heart and all of its contents with your friend because you trust that your friend is someone who will guard your secrets. And you also trust that your friend is not out to try to undermine your faith, but they're there to try to spur you on to love of God and love of neighbor. Elred says that's what we should all be hungry for. That's what we're called to in Christ, is that kind of spiritual friendship that, that spurs us on to godliness, that allows us the freedom that we may not have with any other relationship to be honest about the places of pain in our lives and the places of joy. We risk vulnerability with our friends so that we can uh, know each other intimately so that we can be able to encourage one another toward that virtuous life of godliness in Christ. I don't think many of us can have a huge number of these sorts of friends. I, I had a counselor one time who said, Wes, you don't need a lot of friends. You need two or three that can be your circle of transparency, that place where you let your guard down, that place where you're able to be your real self. You can risk sharing a secret that maybe even is painful because you know that that person is not walking away. There's a loyalty. There's a reciprocity. There's a mutuality in that that allows you to pursue God together. Well, friends, how do we, how do we get this? How do we cultivate that kind of friendship? I was, I was praying about what to say in this regard. There's a lot we could say practically. And I, I'm hoping that in the coming days and weeks uh, here at Mary Creek, you can have some of those conversations. What does it look like to be the kind of community where meals are shared, where a common mission is undertaken so that you can meet people who are like-minded, so that you can forge these relationships? I, I was delighted to hear about the lunch today. Lunches are a great way to start a friendship. Come along to the, to the newcomer's lunch. Meet someone and begin a friendship. But I want to I actually look at the bigger picture. Uh, all these practical details are really important, and I hope you'll have those conversations with each other. But I want to step back a bit and say, how do we, how do we pursue friendship? And I want to offer two thoughts as, as we move toward our conclusion today. Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer, talked about how important it is to look to Christ in two ways. Luther said, we have to look to Christ first as God's unconditional gift of love to us. If you want to understand who Jesus is, Luther said, you have to understand him as God's movement toward us in love, even when we weren't interested in God's love. 
Paul says in Romans chapter 5, that when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that was what captivated Luther. Luther, when he was a monk, had felt that God's love was constantly dependent on his performance, constantly dependent on how well he fulfilled his duties, how well he knew the Psalms, how arduously he fasted and prayed. And always at the end of the day, there was the huge question mark, have I done enough? Have I been faithful enough? Is God pleased with me? And he wasn't ever sure. There was always the niggling doubt in the back of his mind. I'm not sure whether I'm accepted before God. And the breakthrough that came for Luther was when he was wrestling with Romans chapter 1, where Paul talks about the righteousness of God. And Luther said, I hated that phrase, the righteousness of God, because it seemed to be the very thing that condemned me. God is righteous and I'm unrighteous. And so I'm perpetually displeasing to God. And Luther said the breakthrough for him came when he realized that when Paul talks about the righteousness of God, he's talking about a gift that God gives to the unrighteous. The righteousness of God is the righteousness that comes from God as a free bestowal on people who don't deserve it. And Luther said that was when heaven broke open and the light poured in and he was able to find peace for the first time in his life. Christ is a gift of God to us. We don't prepare for it. We don't deserve it. We don't earn it. It's simply God's initiative in reaching out to us in love when we were wandering far from him. That's the gospel, friends. Christ has befriended us through the gospel. Listen to the words in John 15. Famous, famous words from Jesus. In John 15, verse 13, he says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. And that's the kind of love that Jesus has modeled for you and for me. He has laid down his life for us, and he has befriended us through that action. When we were his enemies, when we were running the other direction, He reached out to us in love and poured out his blood and was raised from the dead to make us his friends. If you want to find friendship, if you want to be someone who cultivates spiritual friendship, let yourself meditate day and night on the fact that you have already been befriended. You have already been claimed as God's friend through the gospel. That's the basis of Any possible friendship that you and I have with each other is the fact that we have been made friends by God's initiative. We have been reconciled to God through the death of Jesus, and we now have peace with God. We now have no more fear of judgment. We know that God's smile is for us. We know that those words that God the Father spoke over Jesus in his baptism, you are my beloved son or daughter, those words are for us because of the gospel. Luther said, though, that the second thing we need to do when we look to Jesus is to receive Jesus as example. First, we receive Christ as gift, and then we look to him as example. And we begin very slowly. It doesn't happen overnight, but it happens over our lifetimes. We begin very slowly to model our lives after his. We begin day by day learning how to live like Jesus learning how to embody the same godliness that characterized him. And what we find when we look at the life of Jesus is that Jesus was a friend. Jesus befriended Lazarus 
Mary, Martha, Peter, James, John. Jesus had particular relationships of closeness that he enjoyed with certain other human beings. One of the, one of the best things I've read on friendship is a sermon, actually, um, from John Henry Newman. John Henry Newman was an Anglican priest who eventually uh, converted to Catholicism, but when he was still an Anglican, he preached a sermon called The Love of Relatives and Friends, The Love of Relations and Friends. And he says in the sermon, he says, one of the surprising things about the Gospels is not just that Jesus was a teacher or a miracle worker or that he was the one who died as the mediator between us and God the Father, but that he was a friend. And he said, one of the ways that you see with crystal clarity the humanity of Jesus is that just like you and me, he couldn't be friends with everyone in Galilee. He couldn't be intimate with everyone who was living in Palestine at the time, but he had particular relationships of closeness that he enjoyed. And Newman says, with that example before us, we can actually pursue friendship without guilt. He says one of the challenges of being a Christian is that you you sometimes feel guilt in friendship because you feel like, oh, I'm supposed to love everybody equally. I'm supposed to love even my enemies. So is it okay if I feel a special fondness for my friend? And Newman actually turns that on his head, and he says, actually, it's that special fondness that you feel for your friend. It's that special closeness that you feel for that for that person that you've known since school days or that person that you especially like hanging out with. It's that particular relationship that actually prepares you and forms you to be someone who can love more widely. Newman says that the way we we learn to be able to love our enemies, to be able to love those who are outsiders, those who are different from us, is by learning within that particular relationship of friendship that God has brought into our lives. It's in those particular close friendships that some of our selfish edges are, 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 are knocked off. Some of our uh, uh, virtues begin to be cultivated. And it's the friendship that, in a paradoxical way maybe, can become the springboard to loving the world more widely and loving even our enemies. I find that to be such a, a beautiful picture and an inspiration to think that you don't have to be ashamed If you're cultivating a close friendship with someone, that can actually be something that strengthens the community life here at the church. That can actually be something that fortifies you and prepares you to love your neighborhood, to take a venture in some mission that you might not otherwise do without that friendship. Friendship can be something that spurs you on to a wider and a deeper and a more comprehensive love. Friends, that's where I want to leave us this morning. I want to encourage you to know that you have been befriended by Christ. Take that as gift. Look to Jesus as the gift of God in friendship to you. God has made you his friend through Jesus. Greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down their life for their friends. And that's exactly what Jesus has done for you and for me. We have been made God's friends through Jesus Christ, through his blood, through his resurrection. And now... Knowing yourself loved in that way, pondering that on a daily basis, taking that into your soul and knowing I am the friend of God, you can now venture to be friends with others following the example of Jesus. You can pursue those same kind of relationships that Jesus enjoyed 
with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And you can do so knowing that in and through those relationships, God is sanctifying you. God is discipling you. God is forming you to be the kind of person who can love the community, who can love the city of Melbourne, who could even love the world. Let's pray and ask God for those relationships. Father, I'm keenly aware that whenever we talk about friendship, we're touching on a subject that's complicated for many of us. We long for friendship, and we also know the brokenness of our efforts at friendship. I pray that this would be a community where we know that regardless of what's happened in our lives, we have been made friends of you, that you are our friend, not our enemy, through Jesus, and that we can now walk in his steps. We can now follow the example of Jesus in pursuing and loving and delighting in and cultivating friendship. And I pray, Lord, that this church would gain a reputation for being a a hub of friendship, a place where intimacy runs deep, where meals are shared, where lives are touched and known, and where that becomes a springboard for mission to the city and the neighborhood and indeed the world. Lord, pour out your spirit on this community. Uh, Enliven us, strengthen us, and uh, push us into lives of service and mission for your sake.